I want to talk this morning about something a little bit serious. In fact, this might be incredibly divisive in our day and age. There might be some in this room who choose to deny the existence of this thing. Not because, not because there's not evidence, but because we choose not to believe. We choose not to see the evidence. What do you think we're going to talk about this morning? Bigfoot. We're talking about Bigfoot. Let me just, by show of hands, how many of you think that Bigfoot is real? And how many of you deny the evidence to believe that Bigfoot is a fake? Listen, listen, there, there are, there's camera, there's video, there's pictures, there's videos. Have you seen the footprints? That thing, in fact, you know, I should just share this. I have some personal experience with the beast myself. You may not have known this. See, back in my younger days, when I was in high school, I used to go spelunking. Splunking is just a fancy term to say I used to explore caves. And uh, I'm with a leader, and we're going through this cave. It's over kind of by Mount St. Helens, and we're going into this cave. My leader says, hey, there's this main chasm in this cave, and there's little room right off uh, in the beginning, right off the, the, the side. And he said, come check out in here. And I go in this room, and he's like, look at that. And I look in the corner, and there's this large steaming pile of poo. And that pile of poo, for years I have said that pile of poo was too large to be anything, too large to be human, too large to be bare. It was nothing less than it must have been Bigfoot. And it was steaming. He must have been right in there. Now, full confession, I was scared to death. When I looked in that room, I looked for about three seconds before I ran out screaming. And chances are, I failed to notice my leader standing in the corner of the room, smiling and laughing as I ran out, scared to death. Listen, whether or not you believe in Bigfoot, I'm not going to judge you. Okay, I might judge you slightly. I believe he's real. But on a serious note, on a serious note, Sometimes, isn't it easier for us not to, to believe in something? Isn't it easier for us not to, to believe in it or to, not, or to deny it? Because then if we can deny it, then we don't have to do anything about it. For example, I'm, I'm the ever optimist. Uh, I always look at the glass, and the glass is always half full, if not three-quarters full. That's just, I'm, I'm always able to, to be someone who finds hope in most circumstances. As I've grown in my own maturity and become a little bit more self-aware, I've, I've noticed that when I find something in life that might be challenging or, or difficult or I don't know what to do, I have this tendency to deny that it's a problem or to ignore the problem altogether. Anybody else ever do that? I, I've done this a number of times um, with our cars. I am not a mechanically sound person. It's terrible. When something's wrong with my car, I'm always hesitant, hesitant to go to the mechanic because I don't want to be the guy that goes to the mechanic and has to try and mimic the car sounds to the mechanic and he just laughs at you for trying to make these horrible sounds. Always, I always end up going to the mechanic and he starts talking about things that I don't understand and he's like, this is going to charge you um, at least a kidney and an arm and a leg and everything else. And so my tendency is to ignore it, pretend it's not there. And that works for a while until the car breaks down and things fall apart. And then it's no longer feasible to ignore the truth. This is our human nature. 
where sometimes in human nature, it's easier for us to, to not believe something or to ignore it rather than to be confronted with the truth and then have to do something about it. Because when we're confronted with the truth, we have to do something about it. Isn't it probably the same way in our faith? Isn't it sometimes easier for us to look at things in Scripture, to look at things in the faith and say, you know, it's almost easier for me maybe to not believe it, maybe to ignore it, maybe to, to figure out how to justify it and say that's not real, that's not true, I don't have to do anything about that. Because when we are confronted with truth, what do we do? Do we deny it? Do we ignore it? Or do we surrender to it? Because oftentimes in faith, what happens is we, we, we hear something about, uh, we hear something from Scripture, we hear what God does, and we have a hard time, and we say, well, just, it doesn't make sense in my own mind. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's against the, the, the norms of our culture. But here's the thing, when we are confronted with truth, what do we do? Do we ignore it? Do we deny it? Or do we surrender to truth? This morning, if you have a Bible, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Lucy read for us this morning. We've been studying this letter from the Apostle Paul written to a church not unlike ours in the city of Corinth. And we're going to jump ahead a few chapters today to chapter 15 and look uh, over the next two weeks at the resurrection, yeah, almost as in, in preparation towards Easter. The reality, though, is in this book, the gospel is the central theme that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth about. In fact, in the very beginning of the letter, he, he calls the, the church to be united around the gospel. And here, as we jump forward to uh, the end of the book, chapter 15, Paul gives the clearest explanation of what the gospel is, that the foundation of our faith, the foundation of what Christians believe is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. So next week, I'm excited for next week. Next week, we're going to look at the evidence for the resurrection but that, that Paul has given us, that we have complete evidence that 2,000 years ago, on that Easter morning, that tomb was empty. We're going to look at that evidence and invite people to embrace the power of God over sin and Satan and death and hell. But today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. And we're going to ask these two questions. We're going to ask, if the resurrection was not real, what do we as Christians lose? And on the flip side, if the resurrection was real, what do we as Christians gain? So let's look at this text, starting in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. The verses will be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along in your phone or your Bible as well. Paul writes and says, Now listen, if Christ has been proclaimed as raised from the dead... If this is true, then how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, Paul in this letter is dealing with some questions that the church at Corinth had. Maybe some issues at that, at that church. And one of the issues that Paul is writing to address is there was a number of people in the church who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They said that's not feasible. You see, both way back in Corinth as well as in today, Let's just acknowledge the resurrection is kind of hard to believe, right? I mean, our reality is dead men typically don't walk out of the grave. And so, again, because that's hard for us to believe, it's hard for us to grasp our mind around, 
it's almost easier for us to deny it or to justify it in some other way. Where we say, well, maybe, maybe Jesus didn't really rise from the grave. Maybe when it says there was a resurrection, maybe that means that even though Jesus died, maybe God's mission continues, right? That makes us feel a little bit better. Jesus didn't have to rise from the grave, just his mission continues. Or we say things like this, well, Jesus didn't rise from the grave, but he's my leader. He's my teacher. I, I, I follow his teachings. And that would be sufficient if Christianity was simply a set of ethical commands. It'd be sufficient if Jesus was just a spiritual guru who was one of the many spiritual gurus in their day and in our day. Honestly, wouldn't it be a little bit easier? Wouldn't it be a little easier for us to believe that instead of believing that Jesus walked out of the grave? Because then Christianity, then Jesus would just be another religion. Jesus would just be another spiritual leader. And if he's just another one, then you and I would be free to pick and choose what we believe. I'll accept this, but I reject this. And we have the freedom to do that. But listen, Christianity, listen, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. It is the essence of what we are about. If Jesus did not die on the cross, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, then his death is nothing more than a, uh, another failed Messiah. His death is just a miserable death of another person that has no impact on you and I today. See, the resurrection is what makes Christianity different than every other religion and every other religious leader. That's, that, that's the truth. See, if Jesus has truly risen from the grave, then it proves that he is who he said he is. It proves that he is the son of God, God in the flesh. It proves that he is a king above all other kings. That means that he is greater than, than Caesar or Trump or Biden, that he is the king above all. It proves what Philippians chapter 2 says, that he is a king at whose name every knee will bow. And we have the choice either to bow willfully to him now or when we are suffering in the future. That is what the resurrection proves. And Paul says, yeah, this is a church. There's some people in this church that are doubting the resurrection. So he begins a couple of questions. And the first question is, what is the consequence for us as Christians? If that is true, if Jesus really didn't rise from the grave, what is the consequence for us? What do we lose if Jesus did not raise from the grave? He's going to give us a couple different things. Number one, number one, if, if, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we're all going to be defeated by death. See, if, if Jesus couldn't defeat death, then there's no chance for you and I to either. We will all be defeated by death. Listen, we don't like death. We don't like thinking about death. Death is our enemy, right? That's why when, when we get to drive in our car, that's why we put our seatbelt on, because we don't like death. This is why, this is why uh, we don't play with fire. This is why we eat salad, right? Because we don't like death. We do everything we can to, to prolong our life. But I think about that old proverb that says nothing is certain except Taxes and death. Invariably, it doesn't matter how much salad we eat, death wins. Death is going to win against every one of us. And some of us in the Christian faith would say, well, well, I have faith that I'll be resurrected from the grave. 
But here's Paul's argument in verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. He's saying, listen, if if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then our faith, it doesn't matter how much faith we have. If there's no resurrection, it doesn't matter how much faith we have because death is going to win. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter if they freeze you cryogenically and put you in a microwave to defrost you. If, If the resurrection didn't happen, then death wins. If Jesus couldn't defeat death, then neither will we. Second thing Paul's going to say, if there is no resurrection, he says the apostles' teaching and preaching is worthless. Again, verse 14, he says, if, if, if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain. Verse 15, we are found to misrepresent God because we testified that God raises Jesus and he could not have raised Jesus if there is no, if the dead are not raised. He says this, he's saying, listen, listen, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, we ought to take our Bible and just chuck it out the window. If Jesus did not raise from the grave, we should take our Bible and just forget it and, and get rid of it. It's a waste of time, it's a waste of energy, it's a bunch of lies. Why? Because the whole of the New Testament, the whole of the New Testament, it points us to the resurrection. The New Testament tells us the story of the resurrection of Jesus. The New Testament, the rest of it tells us uh, the implications of what the resurrection means for us. It is all about the resurrection. And so if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, then this book is just a bunch of stories that are made up that have no impact on us. There's nothing in here that matters. It doesn't matter about the Christianity. It doesn't matter about our church. It doesn't matter about truth. It doesn't matter about forgiveness of sin. It doesn't matter about heaven or hell or hope if Jesus did not really raise from the grave. We, number one, we all will be defeated by death if there is no resurrection. Number two, the apostles' preaching and teaching is worthless. And number three, Christianity is pointless and we will die in our sins. That's what he says in verse 17. He says, if Christ has not raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, here's here's what Christianity is all about. Christianity says that Jesus is God. That is who Jesus is. And he came to the earth and and he, he became a human to identify with us. And he lived a sinless life. He lived a life that you and I couldn't live. And then he went to to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to die in our place. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, conquering Satan and sin and death and hell, allowing us as Christians to go through the grave to heaven. That is what Christianity is all about. And Paul is saying, listen, listen, if if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, then that means our sin has not been dealt with. That means that death has not been defeated. That means that we are bound for death and hell. And if Christianity is mainly about the resurrection, then if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, our Christianity is pointless because our sin hasn't been dealt with. We are still in our sins. We're still going to be held guilty and liable by God. If Jesus didn't raise from the grave, we're all going to suffer death. 
The apostles' teaching is pointless. Our faith is worthless. And number four, there's no hope for us in this life or beyond the grave. That's what Paul says in verse 18. He says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ. I like how he describes us as Christians when we die. Christians don't die, we go to take a nap. That's what we do. He says, he says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, if there is no resurrection, then they have perished. He's saying there's no hope beyond the grave. When we have a loved one who dies, how do we comfort one another? We say, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. But listen, if there's no resurrection, a hole in the ground is not a better place. That's what he's saying. If, if, if there's no resurrection, then there's no hope there's no hope beyond the grave. And also, he talks about this life in verse 19. He says, if in Christ, their only hope is in this life only, as Christians, he says, then we are a people most pitied. We are a people most pitied. Let's just do this. Let me ask you this question. How many of you would say life is hard? Life's difficult, right? Some hard stuff we go through. This life can be frustrating. We are, are suffering from, from the curse of a fallen world. And what we know in this life is no matter, no matter how we spin it, things in this life break. There are things that we look to to bring us hope, and sometimes those things break and they let us down. There are people that we love and we care for. And regardless of what we do, people die. And it breaks our heart and leaves us with this hole inside. Relationships, people that we love, people that fill us up, people that we have so much connection with, sometimes those relationships struggle. And we have conflict. And we're not getting along. And sometimes there's hard things that we go in our relationships. And sometimes our health begins to fail. We get cancer. We get sick. We suffer just with age. This is life under the sun. This is life that is cursed, that is falling. This life can be frustrating. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, if you have a belief in Jesus, and, is, and if it just makes you feel good, if it's just about making you feel good, then good for you. But if your faith in Jesus, if your religion doesn't work forever, forever beyond this life, he's saying it's not working. It's not sufficient just to be a little bit of good hope for you in this life. He says, if your faith and your hope and your, and your, your religion and your belief does not get you through the grave to the other side of eternity, to heaven, to give you an assurance of heaven, he says, your faith doesn't matter. You have no hope. This life will be meaningless. Think about the hardship and the suffering that we have to endure in this life the difficult things we go through. If this is all there is, it's kind of meaningless. All the pain and the suffering that we endure, it's pointless. Paul says, listen, if, if we are just a people that, that have this Jesus to try and make us feel good in the middle of it, Jesus says we are a hopeless people. Or Paul says we're a hopeless people. We are most pitied. See, I think this is what Paul's trying to say. That if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, what do we lose? 
as Christians. If Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, what do we lose? We lose everything. We lose everything. We lose our hope in this life. We lose the promise of eternal life and everything in between. But what if Jesus did raise from the grave? What if that tomb was really empty 2,000 years ago? What do we gain as Christians? What do we gain? Paul's going to answer that question for us as well. Number one, we all will gain our own resurrection. Verse 21, Paul says, As by man came death. Who, what man brought death? Adam. Adam is the father of us all. He says, as by man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. And what man is that? That is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus. He says in verse 22, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Let's just be honest. Again, we talked about this. We don't like being sick. We don't like having pain. We hate suffering uh, the, the effects of sin and the fallen world on our body and on our creation. But what Paul just said is there's coming a day. There's coming a day when we die, then those of us who trust Jesus, we will rise and get a resurrected body. Which means, as Christians, this world is as worse as it can get. This is the worst we're going to experience because we have a resurrected body in front of us. We're going to look forward to the resurrection. We get to look forward to the time when there's no more pain. There's no more tears. There's no more sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more death. There's no more lies. There's no more evil. There's no more funerals. This is what we get to look forward to as Christians. A resurrection. That the former things, the things of this world that suck, we don't have to deal with it in the future. That is the resurrection that we get in our bodies that we get to look forward to. That's what we gain. He says, if Jesus really did rise from the grave, if the resurrection is real, secondly, that we will belong to God and not to Adam. Belong to Jesus and not to Adam. Again, we have all sorts of ways to identify people, right? We identify people by all sorts of things. What you do for work. You're a blue collar. You're a hands guy. You're whatever you do. You're identified by by your work. You're identified maybe by your politics. You're red, you're blue, you're in the middle. You're identified by your economic status. Poor, wealthy, middle class. You're identified by your sexuality. Uh, The way you believe on that, you're identified as being a dog person or a cat person. We know which one's better, but we allow these things to identify us. You're identified by your religion or by your denomination. We identify people in all sorts of ways. But look what Paul says in verse 22, as in Adam, all will die. So also in Christ, all are made alive. See, see, for God, God doesn't identify people like we do. For God, there's two identities. There's only two identities. The first one is the children of Adam. These are people who will die as sinners. These are people who will spend eternity in hell. And the other identity is, is, is those of us that are in the children of God. People who will die forgiven of our sin, who will spend eternity in heaven. And what Paul says is if we trust in Jesus, we will not die in our sin. 
Christ will die for us. He dies for our sins so we can be forgiven, so we can be redeemed, so we can become the children of God. So we're not identified by being a part of Adam. Now we're identified by being a part of Christ. And our identity is rooted in that, in him. Which means if we're identified with Christ, we don't belong to death, we belong to life. We don't belong to Satan, we belong to God. We don't belong to hell, we belong to heaven. Our identity changes from being a son of Adam to being a son of God, from being a daughter of Adam to being a daughter of God. That is what we gain if we trust in Christ and believe in the resurrection. Gosh, that's good. Third thing we gain if the resurrection is real is we gain life forever with Jesus in his kingdom. We will live forever with Jesus in his kingdom. Verse 22, Paul says we are made alive in Christ. Verse 24, he says, then comes the end when he will deliver the kingdom to God after destroying every ruler and authority and power, which means there's a time when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to straighten everything out in this world. He's going to fix what's gone wrong. Verse 25, he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet, even the last enemy of death. And verse 27, for God has put everything under his feet. Listen, how many of us would acknowledge there's some brokenness in our world? There's brokenness in our country. There's brokenness all around us. How many, of you have ever, how many of you have ever complained about the state of things in our country? The state of things in our world? How many of you ever signed a protest? How many of you voted because you want to see things change and see things different? You see, all of those things, all of those things are us agreeing that life on this earth is not the way that it should be. All those things are us saying things need to change. See, if you and I, if we're frustrated with life on earth, that is because God has put a seed in us. God has put a seed in us in anticipation of his kingdom. He put the seed of eternity in our hearts. In fact, this is what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says. Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity in our hearts. So we long for eternity. We long for more than just what this world has to offer. We're not satisfied with this life. What that means is there's a a kingdom that is coming, a kingdom that's not unlike, that, that is unlike any other kingdom on this earth. There is a kingdom coming that is ruled by a king, King Jesus, who's loving, who's benevolent, who's good. There's a kingdom coming where we no longer deal with sin and brokenness and death and pain and mourning. That is a, that, that is a kingdom we're looking forward to. That is a kingdom we long for, which is why we are satisfied with this world. The only people in that kingdom, the only people in the kingdom are people who love God, who obey and serve him, which means in that kingdom, we don't need wars anymore. We don't need politicians. We don't need locks on our doors because we are the people of God. This is our hope. This is our hope as Christians. That we can recognize, we can recognize that even the good in this life is just not sufficient enough, right? If Jesus rose 
And he has entered into the kingdom of his kingdom. He is coming back to establish his kingdom and our future as the, the children of God. Where we get that kingdom that we long for. When things are made right. When the suffering ends. When the oppression ends. When the pain is gone. Paul to those that are doubting the resurrection of Jesus. He said, listen, if, you're real, if that's true, if there is no resurrection, what do you lose? As Christians, you lose everything. But if the resurrection is real, if Jesus did rise, rise from the grave, he walked out of that grave 2,000 years ago, what do we gain as Christians? We gain everything. We gain Everything. This is so huge. You see why the resurrection is the foundation of Christianity? It is what we are about. That everything we believe, everything we do, it rides on the resurrection. And if the resurrection happened, we gain everything. Everything. The question then becomes, if God has offered to give us everything because of the resurrection, what is our response? What does he ask us to do? What difference does what God offers us, what difference should that make in our lives? What should our response be? There's actually, Jesus answers that question for us. Matthew chapter 13, towards the end of that chapter, Jesus is talking to people about the kingdom of God. He answers that question, what is expected of us when God has offered us his kingdom? He says in, in verse 44, he says, the kingdom of God, because of the resurrection, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that is buried in a field. A man finds uh, that treasure, he reburies it, and then he sells all that he has and buys the field. Verse 45, another parable, Jesus says, the kingdom of God, again because of the resurrection, because of Jesus walking out of the grave, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he has found one, he sold all that he has to buy that pearl. You see, the response to God's offer of everything through the resurrection, the response that Jesus offers, which means we gain everything. We gain hope in this life. We gain hope in the future. We gain everything. God's response, he's asking us to surrender to him. He's saying, I will give this all to you. I will make everything right. And what am I asking for? I'm asking for you to give yourself to me. Seems pretty worth it to me if you ask me. And I recognize there are some who may be listening today who maybe have chosen not to believe in the resurrection. Maybe struggled through faith and maybe doubting some of the things that we read and talk about in, in, in Christianity and in the Bible. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it's easier for us to choose to doubt, to choose not to believe to choose to ignore. Because if we acknowledge the truth and the evidence, it's easier for us to ignore it than to actually have to surrender and give our all to God. 
Listen, I don't say this to shame you. But I recognize for some of us here listening, if we don't fully surrender ourselves over to God, we are on the cusp of losing everything. Losing everything, hope in this life and hope for the future because of the false hope that this world tries to give us. I mean, this world tries to give us these false hope and saying, you'll be satisfied. You'll be satisfied if you do these certain things. You ever notice how those things in this earth, they leave us constantly searching for more? They never fully satisfy us. We think, well, a relationship, that'll satisfy me. Guess what happens? That relationship can't fulfill everything that's wrong in your heart. And it leaves you going from one relationship to the next. That's why one drink is never enough. One drink leads to a second and a third and a fourth. That is why there's never enough money. There's never enough fame. There's never enough pleasure. Because those are a taste of the real thing, but they're not the real thing. They can't satisfy us. This is why God is saying, I've offered you everything. I've offered you everything. And what I'm asking you to do is I will give it to you. I'll give you everything. I'll give you the hope for now into the future. I'll give you all these things if you surrender. If you surrender. Which means you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't, know how, you don't have to know how everything worked out. You don't know how the resurrection happened and everything else. He simply asks us to trust him. To follow him and to obey him. It's a choice that we get to make. That we can choose the hope of eternity. That we can choose between freedom in Christ or slavery to sin. That we can choose between heaven and hell. That we can choose between life and death. That we can choose between freedom and joy and shame. It all comes down to will we surrender? So I recognize there are someone here listening today. And maybe for you, you're not doubting the resurrection. But maybe there's a part of our faith. Maybe there's a part of scripture. You're like, you know what? What God is asking of us as followers, it's hard. It's difficult. It rubs against the way that I want to live my life. It's, God's asking me to do some things that I just don't think are fair. Our culture says that's not cool anymore. Maybe, maybe God asks us to do some things that requires us to give more than we want to. To surrender things that we don't want to surrender. To obey in ways that we don't want to obey. And so what do we do? We find ourselves justifying it. Well, it's really okay that I do this even though God said not to. It's okay. We, we excuse it. Well, you just, you just don't understand what I'm going through. My situation is different. And so I can do this even though God says not to. It is willful disobedience. God has offered us everything. Why would we hold on to the things of this world when God has offered us so much greater? Are we so arrogant? Are we so arrogant that we would expect to receive God's offer of everything without simply loving him in return? You know what God says? You know what God says love is? 1 John 5, to love God is to obey God. Are we so arrogant that we'll say, God, I demand you give me everything, but I'm not going to give you the one thing you ask for, which is my heart, which is to love you, which is to obey you. That's why God says we are to surrender. 
which is as Christians, this is why we go to church. As Christians, this is why we give 10%. As Christians, this is why we pray. As Christians, this is why we honor marriage. As Christians, this is why we love the world because God has given everything to us through the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, would you love me in return? And here's how we do it. By living a life of faith and obedience to him. What is it that you need to surrender today? One more point of application. Our hope is in the resurrection. The resurrection is absolutely the best news ever. And if we believe that as Christians, if we believe that God gives us everything through the resurrection, wouldn't we want everyone we know to experience that same thing that we get? Wouldn't we want to shout it from the rooftops, listen, you can be given everything if you trust in Jesus. Look what Jesus offers you if you just trust in him. You see, if the resurrection is the foundation of our faith, wouldn't we want everyone to experience what the resurrection offers? Which means if we've got family members who are not walking with God, we've got coworkers going through a hard time, we've got friends who are struggling, what advice do we give them? What hope do we give them? Read a tarot card, you'll feel better. Have a cup of coffee, it'll solve everything. No, listen, if we, if we believe in the resurrection, like that is where hope is found. Like we have the answer right here. We have the answer. God's given it to us. As Christians, we've been given hope because of the resurrection. And, and that is a life-changing message. Shouldn't that be what we want everyone to experience and to know? Listen, who are you sharing the resurrection with? Who are you investing in and, and pursuing to point them to the truth so that they would hear about the, the truth of the resurrection and surrender to God? You see, I'll be honest, I am so excited for Easter. Easter, you may not know this, is next week. It is next week. Who in your circle needs to hear about the hope of the resurrection? I'll tell you, I love our church. I love the team of, of people that God has put here at Restoration Church to make us do church. And our team has put an incredible amount of work and creativity into making Easter an awesome celebration next week. It is going to be awesome. Not to celebrate us and not to celebrate our church, but to celebrate Christ and the empty tomb. And so whether you are gathering physically with us or whether you are watching online, listen, we want you to make a priority to be here next week to celebrate the resurrected Savior, the empty tomb. And here's the challenge. Don't just come alone. This isn't just about you. Who are you going to bring with you? Who are you going to invite to say, oh, we want you to come and celebrate the resurrection with us? We want you to hear the evidence of the resurrection so you can respond to that. If you are watching online, listen, if you feel comfortable, I recognize many of you are keeping your circle small and if that's a decision you make for yourself, great. But you can still invite someone to watch Easter with you in your home. If you're comfortable with that, invite someone over. In fact, they may be, that may be the easiest way for you to invite someone to church. They may have a hard time stepping into the church building but chances are they'd step into your home. They'd watch an online service. 
whether you are gathering with us physically or whether you are watching online, we want you to be intentional and share the hope of the resurrection. Bring someone to church with you next week. Listen, I love y'all. I love y'all. So thankful for the privilege of opening scripture together and hearing about the hope of the resurrection. That's what I want you all to experience. The fact that God has given us everything. He's asking us to surrender. So what is it that you've been holding on to? What is it that you've been saying, okay, God, I'm not ready to surrender this. I'm not ready to submit this to you. I'm ignoring it because it's easier. What is the Lord speaking to you about, about what you need to surrender? Let's pray.